I had a long drive this morning. <laughs> I came from Belleville this morning, so. Um, and we've moved just south of Belleville with my mother-in-law um, to try and uh, be more support to her, and we moved at a good time. She's been in the hospital three times since we moved there, and she's in the hospital again right now. So um, that's keeping us busy, and uh, especially Muriel. Uh, but we're glad that uh, we can be here to take care of her and uh, to help her in this way. Um, If my thoughts are a little disconnected this morning, I didn't sleep last night, maybe one hour, that's it. So, um, stuff going on and um, I could not get to sleep. So I was laying there for hours and hours and hours. Finally got up and looked at some stuff for my message and went and I got one hour of sleep. <laughs> then I got up to drive here and I made it. So anyway, um, let's just pray and we're gonna look at God's word together. Father, we just thank you for your love and kindness to us. We experience it every day, even at the times we are neglectful of it. We still know that you are constant in your love and grace. Father, we thank you for your word. You've chosen to speak to us. You've chosen to tell us what's on your mind and what it's important for us to know. And Father, you have been faithful to your word. We just thank you for it. We ask as we look at it this morning, you would speak to our hearts Teach us by your spirit, guide us into understanding, for we ask it in the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ. Um, I'm gonna look at a passage, it's not real common, so sometimes this um, bothers people, but <laughs> I hope not. So let's go, go to 2 Kings, and we're gonna look at chapter 16, and we're gonna look at a, a parallel um, chapter in Chronicles, and um, and we're going to look in Isaiah this morning also, and that's, there's a reason, um, I wasn't planning on this, but when I was reading this a while back, I just started noticing some, some things, and God was teaching me from this, and showing me some things, and, and I started realizing this is pretty applicable to where we're at today. I just want to, before I start, I just want to say when Gideon and Cassidy are moving up north, moving a long way up north, <laughs> I looked on the map, I'm like, wow, that's really far up north. <laughs> and I didn't think it was that far. But one, one of the things, and we've experienced a lot, and missionaries experience this, moving is a big stress. Um, you, anybody that's moved knows how much is involved in making a move, um, but especially a move that distance. So that you can be praying for them this week about this move, because I know every time we would be coming home from Senegal or Ivory Coast and going back, the, the weeks before that transition were always so full of things that had to be done and you felt like you would never get it done before you had to leave. And the stress level kept going up, up, up. And I thought, Lord, why doesn't this get easier? I've done it so many times, but it just kept getting harder. And uh, anyway, so pray for them. And, uh, the, and pray for them as they settle in up there because it's a very uh, unfamiliar territory for them and, uh, and they're going to have a lot of things to learn and to adjust to, so just keep them in mind. So in Second Kings chapter um, 16, we have a man named Ahaz and he reigns over Judah. Now, uh, I used to hear a lot of teaching from the kings 
because Bill Foreman would come out to Osgoode and he oh he loved teaching from the Book of Kings and Book of Books of Chronicles, and so we heard I heard lots, but we normally don't hear a lot uh, from from this, but. Um, there's, there's this man named Ahaz, and so we're just going to read uh, some of this chapter here, and maybe a little bit of the, the chapter before. So in verse 1 of uh, chapter 16, it says, In the seventeenth year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, became king. Ahaz was twenty years old when he became king, and he reigned sixteen years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God, as his father David has done. And if you if you read through the kings, you'll notice that the standard for the kings is always David. And they either did right as David did, or they did not do right as David did. And that's the standard God uses for them. Now David had his problems too. God's filled the scriptures for us, and he tells the life of David, and David did some things that, you know, were evil. And, uh, but one thing about David, and the Psalms are full of his heart, he recognized his sinfulness, he recognized who God was. In light of who God was, he recognized who he was, and he had the right perspective on sin, and he confessed his sin. So that's why God compares the kings to, to David, do the kings have the right perspective on who they are before God, who God is, and sin? So I can ask myself, do I have the right perspective on who God is, who I am, and sin in my life? Do I have the right perspective on that? Where will I get that perspective? I'll get it from the scriptures. God is God will show me this. And so Ahaz... He's one of the bad ones. There, there was 40 kings in the two kingdoms, the, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, in Samaria and in Judah. 40 kings. Israel had no good kings. 20 of them all rotten to the core. Judah had um, 20 kings. Half of them were good. Half of them were bad. And so there wasn't a lot of good ones around. But Ahaz had a really good heritage. Let's just jump up um, into chapter 15 for a minute. And in verse 32, it says, In the second year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, we just read this again, like this name came up in the, what I just read. Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he became king. He reigned 16 years old in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok, who was a priest. He did was what, what was right in the sight of the Lord. He did according to all that his father Uzziah had done. But it says only the high places were not taken away and the people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. So that was his father. Uzziah was his grandfather. Um, and Uzziah did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and there's quite a bit in there. But one thing I noticed about Ahaz, God has a lot in the scripture about this king. Why does he have so much about an evil king? He could have just told us he was bad, but he didn't. There's two whole chapters, one in Kings and one in Chronicles, that just speak about him. 
his father gets a little blurb, but he gets two whole chapters. And not only that, he gets a place in the book of Isaiah too. So why, why is this? And I thought there's something similar to the time of Ahaz and to our time today. And um, so he didn't do what his father David had done. This is what he did, though. Verse 3, he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and even made his son pass through the fire according to the abomination of the nations whom the Lord had driven out from before the sons of Israel. He sacrificed and burned incense on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. The kings just refused to get rid of these high places. They didn't, there was only one king that totally got rid of them all. But they, they just left them in place. And this is what kept happening. They kept going back and sacrificing on this. We might think, oh, they knew they were doing wrong. Well, if they had read the scriptures, they would have. But he has his grandfather Uzziah, his, his, um, his father, who both, both were Jotham, who were both good men, good kings, as far as the Lord is concerned. They followed the Lord. They understand, understood who God was. They understood who they were, and they understood sin. And so they were following the precepts of God. They were offering sacrifice for sin. They were doing what God said. And there's another thing about all the righteous people in, in the Old Testament. They weren't righteous by what they did. They did what they did because they were righteous. What made them righteous was their trust in what God had promised, that he would send a Savior. He promised one, a promised one that would come and take care of this sin problem and release them from Satan's bondage. They trusted in that. Ahaz didn't. He never, he never understood that message. And so he didn't do what was right in the sight of the Lord. And he sacrificed to idols. So what he did was he, he, he added into, if you want to call it the religion that they had, and he brought other things into it, thinking this was a good thing to do. If you remember Cain and Abel, both of them knew what to do. Sometimes um, we might think, oh, Abel just offered something and the Lord accepted it. No, God doesn't work that way. He doesn't let us do what we want and he decides whether or not he will accept it. He tells us exactly what is required. I will tell you, O oh man, what is required of you. And so he told Abel and he told Cain. And the reason we can understand that is because when he came to Cain, he said, you know what to do. If you do right, will you not be accepted like your brother Abel? So Cain knew what to do. He just didn't want to do it. He wanted to do something else. He added to what God had said. He would do something different. And that has been the deception of Satan through the history of mankind. You do not have to listen to what God says. You can do your own thing and God will accept it. No, he won't. Adam, he was overhearing what, what was being said to Eve. Did God really say? Let's put some doubt in your mind. Did God really say? you shouldn't eat from every tree of the garden. No, he didn't say that. He never said anything about every tree. He said something about one tree. They were not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but they let themselves listen to a different message. 
And so here's Ahaz, and he's adding these things. You know, when you have truth, when I have truth, and I've learned this lesson in my life, and I heard a man, like I didn't hear a man, I read something. He was actually, this man was actually writing about the so-called brethren. That's us, the assemblies. And his, this is, was his observation. He said, when you have truth and you don't share it, you lose it. But I would also add, when we have truth and we don't actually live it in our life, we lose it. And so what he was saying is he was looking at our history, the history of the assemblies, and it had a really good foundation. These men came to understand scripture. If you look back, if you look at the history, you look at some of these men, they understood and they shared what they were learning with everybody. They didn't keep it to themselves. They didn't keep it within a little group. They shared it with everybody. They wrote so many books. I have tons of them from the 1800s that I can pick up. And they wrote and published these things so people would know the truth. Their names were known. They're still known today. I talk to people who are not from assemblies and they know the names of some of these men because they wrote and they shared truth. They may not be respected, but they know their names because they wrote and shared truth and they lived the truth they knew. They, and so when he looked, he said, what happened though is they stopped sharing the truth they had. They kept it to themselves. And he said, they're losing it. It's kind, of, it's kind of scary to hear something like that. But in my own life, I saw that's true. When the Lord has shown me something and I've neglected it, you know, now I have to go back and relearn it. It's just not there anymore. He taught me that. I know he did, but I just can't. Oh, I thought I have to think, what was he saying? What was he showing me through that? I didn't apply it. I didn't share it. And now I have to relearn it. And I thought, that's true, what he was saying. What I read, what that man said, and I read it, I thought, he's, it's true. It's true what he said. It's true in my own experience. It's true right here with Ahaz. He knew the truth, but he didn't listen to it. He didn't apply it, and he lost it. And he's sacrificing everywhere to these idols. Um, it says in verse 5, Then Rezin king of Aram and Pekah the son of Rebeliah, king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war. And they besieged Ahaz, but could not overcome him. At the time, Rezin king of Aram recovered Elath, for Aram and cleared the Judeans out of Elath entirely. And the Arameans came to Elath and have lived there to this day. So if you read a little bit further, one of the kings got Elath, the city, back. And as far as I can tell, it's hard to find it on maps, but it's right at the tip of um, the Gulf of Aqaba, which is um, part of the Red Sea. And it actually gave Judah a, a, a port. So they had, that city was important. But they, and they, they got it back. They won it back. And now they've lost it again. And so... They took it. So whenever Israel or Judah loses land, there's something happening. 
because they shouldn't be losing land that God gave to them and promised to them and said he would give to them and he would drive out the enemies before them. But he said, but if you do not obey me, I will let the nations that are around you come in and take it. And this is what's happening. So Ahaz should have known he was out of step with God. He was in disobedience to God because he's losing territory. And so in verse 7, Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and deliver me from the hand of the king of Aram and from the hand of the king of Israel, who are rising up against me. Ahaz took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house and sent a present to the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria listened to him, and the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and captured it and carried the people away into exile to Kerr and put resin to death. So where did he go? Not to the Lord. He went to a foreign king. Then he took the articles from the house of the Lord and he paid him with that, those treasures to help him in battle. That's how much he, he valued the things of God. How much do I value the things of God? How, how do I treat them? Do I give them up easily? Or do I, do I value them? And so it says in verse 10, King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and saw the altar which was at Damascus. So there's an altar at Damascus. And King Ahaz sent to Uriah the priest the pattern of the altar and its model according to all its workmanship. So Uriah the priest built an altar according to all that King Ahaz had sent him from Damascus. Thus Uriah the priest made it before um, the coming of King Ahaz from Damascus. When the king came from Damascus, the king saw the altar. Then the king approached the altar and went up to it and burned his burnt offering, his meal offering, and poured his drink offering, and sprinkled the blood of his peace offering on the altar. He's totally changed the worship of God now. He's taken a, a copy of an altar from somewhere else, built it, and, um, and this is what he said um, in verse 14. The bronze altar which was before the Lord, he brought from the front of the house and from between his altar and the house of the Lord, and he put it on the north side of his altar. That was not to be moved. That location was determined by God. And then, um, then King Ahaz commanded Uriah the priest, saying, Upon the great altar burn the morning burnt offering and the evening meal offering and the king's burnt offering and his meal offering with the burnt offering of all the people of the land and their meal offering and their drink offerings and sprinkle on it all the blood of the burnt offering, all the blood of the sacrifice, but the bronze altar shall be for me to inquire by. That's not what the bronze altar was for. It was for sacrifice. So Uriah the priest did according to all that King Ahaz commanded. Then King Ahaz cut off the borders of the stands and removed the laver from them. He also took down the sea from the bronze oxen, which were under it, and put it on a pavement of stone. And the covered way for the Sabbath, which they had built in the house and the outer entry of the king, he removed from the house of the Lord because of the king of Assyria. He's taking apart the temple. He's taking temple items, and he's moving them 
destroying them, taking them out. That's a pretty serious thing for a king in Judah to do. Those things were put in place under the instruction of God. And you remember what happened when Solomon built the temple? The Lord filled that temple. That was his house. And Ahaz is just dismantling things. So that's, what, that's how far. So he let, was losing um, his devotion to God. He lost it. He never really had it. So, and it says, now the rest of the acts of Ahaz, which he did, are they not written in the book of Chronicles? So let's go over to the book of Chronicles, chapter 28, Second Chronicles, chapter 28. And Chronicles, Chronicles repeats some of the stuff um, that was said in, in Kings, but it adds to it. So it tells us about his reign and when he did. <clears throat> that he, but in verse 2 it says, He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He also made molten images for the Baals. Moreover, he burned incense in the valley of Ben-Hinnom and burned his sons in fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had driven out before the sons of Israel. He sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. All of these things were condemned by God, and he told them, don't do this. They actually had instruction not to do every one of these things from God, and God said, if you do these things, if you follow the nations in these things, basically God said, I will be against you. He's actually putting his own sons through fire. He's, he's sacrificing his own children. That's how, how far he had got. Um, and then there's war. Um, and many people are taken out of Israel at this time. And things are getting really bad. And... Uh, And so, Judah is invaded at this time. And Isaiah was a prophet to uh, the northern kingdom, mostly. But he did prophesy here, and there was a message given, and I'm going to look at that in a minute. Um, It says in verse 5, The Lord his God delivered him into the hand of the king of Aram, and they defeated him and carried him away with a great number of captives. And they took them to Damascus. Um, And there was a lot of people taken out of Judah at that time and out of Israel. And they were dealing with Assyria. And what happened was the northern kingdom fought against them and they, they, they actually took people out of Judah and they captured them as slaves. And they, they were told not to do that. And so they actually let them go, let them go back. And it says in verse 16, at that time, King Ahaz sent to the kings of Assyria for help. And we read that. The He says, for again, the Edomites, now Chronicles adds this, the Edomites had come down 
and attacked Judah and carried away captives. So he's having a big problem with the nations around him. Whenever we get away from following truth and following the Lord, do you ever notice that you start to have big problems in your life? Things don't go right because you're not doing right. I'm not doing right. If I get away from following the Lord, I bring problems into my life. Everything, the important thing about what God says to, to us as his people or to all people is that he is our creator. He knows everything that's best for us everything that we need. He never says anything to us that will not be for our benefit and keep us in a, a relationship with him, which is what we need. We were created to always be in fellowship with him. When Jesus Christ came, he demonstrated to us what man was created to be. He never was out of fellowship with his father. He always spoke the things that his father told him. He always did the things that his father told him. Never once did he act on his own. The temptation that he had um, when Satan tried to deceive him and get him to act, he never, he never responded to it. He responded with God's word and told him what God's word said and did not do something that would be out of, out of God's will. And it says in verse 22, Now in the time of his distress, the same king Ahaz became yet more unfaithful to the Lord. For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, and said, Because the gods of the kings of Aram helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they became the downfall of him and all Israel. So his reasoning was, well, I've got big problems. And Aram, they, they came in and they defeated us and they sacrificed to those gods. So if I sacrifice to those gods, it's very, very um, like we, we might sound, let's say that's silly reasoning, but it's, it's really not in a human point of view. And we probably do it quite often. If I do this, then this should be the result. And oftentimes when we're in distress or in problems, we take matters into our own hands and we think, well, if I do this, this should be the result. And what we often end up doing is causing ourselves more problems. Take, for example, financial problems. So someone has a financial problem and they have debt and the debt is starting to swallow them up and it's getting out of control. So they think, well, if I do this, and what's the solution? Well, let's consolidate debt so we can take on more debt. And what happens? They create more problem for themselves. What was happening and why God sent the nations in to disturb this king, Ahaz, was so that he would repent and turn to God. All he had to do was go back to what God had said, repent, and he would have God's help. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So all Ahaz had to do was turn to God. That was his answer. Turn to God. Look at what he said. Start living according to what he said and ask for him to take care of the situation. And God would have done it, guaranteed. How do I know that? Because he did it over and over and over for the people of Israel. Many, many times. When they turned back to him, read the book of Judges. 
When they disobeyed him and the nations came in and then they realized their problem, God's, they turned to him and they cried out to the Lord and he sent them a judge. And as long as the judge was there, they followed the Lord as soon as he died. Back to the same old story again. But he, but God was faithful. He never got tired of them doing, he did get tired of them doing that, but he never got tired of helping them. He always would, he will always help the person that turns to him. He always will. He'll never turn you away. He'll never turn me away. And so Ahaz had this opportunity to repent. Now, what do I mean by repent? This word is so misunderstood. In I've heard so many ways this is explained, and it's so simple. All repent means is change your mind. Ahaz, change your mind about what you're doing and what you're thinking. You, what you need to do is change your mind about me, change your mind about yourself, and change the mind about the sin that you're involved in and see it for what it is. Change your mind. That's it. That's all it is. God wasn't telling me you have to be extra sorrowful or you have to stop everything you're doing and then you can turn to me. No. He said, change your mind and just turn to me. Start thinking of who I am and start thinking of what you're doing and the sin that you're involved in and look at it as I look at it. That's it. And so Ahaz had that opportunity. He, the, the priests were there. He had the scripture. He could have done it, but he looked to these idols. And in verse 25, it says, In every city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense to other gods and provoked the Lord, the God, the God of his fathers, to anger. So instead of going to the Lord for help, he was provoking the Lord to anger. And he was creating all these problems for himself. Now, when truth is lost, what happens is you have a change in your understanding because the truth that you had that gave you understanding is, is no longer understood. And so your understanding about things changes. We, we need to see this world as God sees it. We need truth. This world's in a mess right now. It really is. It always has been. Um, it, there's a change in worship. He was now worshiping idols and creating and even going deeper and deeper into the worship of idols and a change in focus. It's totally away from God. It's all about what he was doing. Um, so let's go over to the book of Isaiah because there's something that was really important that, that, that God did at this time. Go to chapter 6. And we're just going to read the, the one verse here. Um, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it says, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with a train of his robe filling the temple. This is Isaiah seeing this. And when, when did this happen? The year that Ahaz's grandfather died. The year that King Uzziah died. So this is, this is an important time. And if we go over to chapter 7, so from chapter 7 into chapter 9, to chapter 9, verse 7. It's all about Ahaz. Not truly just about him, but it's, it's concerning him. He's involved in this. So now here's, here's what Isaiah writes, and it's a different perspective. In verse 1 of chapter 7, Now it came about in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Aram, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not conquer it. So it's, it's really well fixed in history, the way this, 
It was the year that King Uzziah died that the Isaiah saw the Lord, and it's and it's at this time, and it's Ahaz, who's the son of um, Jotham, who's the son of Uzziah, and it's all it's all fixed in history. In verse three, then the Lord said to Isaiah, "Go out now to meet Ahaz." So we don't read this in the Kings. We don't read about Isaiah in the Kings. We have to come to Isaiah, but he went and he spoke to Ahaz. So Ahaz was hearing truth. Isaiah was a prophet of the Lord, and he was speaking truth to Ahaz. He said, go out to meet Ahaz, you and your son, Sher Jashub, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to, um, to the fuller's field, and say to him, take care and be calm, have no fear, and do not be faint-hearted, because these two stubs of smoldering firebrands, on account of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram, and the son of Rem and the son of Remaliah, because Aram with Ephraim, the son of Remaliah, has planned evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrorize it and make for ourselves a breach in its walls and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass, for the head of Aram is Damascus, the head of Damascus is Rezin. Now within another 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered, so it is no longer a people. That came true. Ephraim, that's the northern kingdom. They were shattered. They were no longer a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you will not believe, you, shall, you sh surely shall not last. So this is important. So he's, Isaiah is saying to them, to Ahaz, this won't happen if you believe, if you trust the Lord. And then this is what we're told in verse 10. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it deep as the depths or as high as the heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Okay, that sounds really good, doesn't it? I won't test the Lord. Um, and I know another person who said that. When, when Satan quoted Psalm 91, Satan knew the scriptures. He quoted to, it to Jesus while he was in the wilderness for those 40 days. He quoted it to him that he would not be harmed. He could cast himself off, and he said, you won't dash your foot against a rock. You're not going to be harmed. You know that. You know what the scripture says, so throw yourself down. And what did the Lord answer? He answered with the very same verse that Ahaz has just answered the Lord with, except Jesus was answering Satan. And so it's Deuteronomy 6.16, and, and um, it's, I, I, thou shalt not put the Lord thy God to the test. And so Ahaz piously says, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Only problem was, who commanded him to ask for a sign? It was the Lord. You never say no to the Lord. Never. We can never say that. We cannot, the Lord cannot tell us something and we say no. That is an impossibility. We do it, but you can't do it. When the Lord says something, there's no arguing. That is the truth. If you say no, you're brought problems into your life <laughs> because you're now denying the Lord. We, we just can't do this kind of thing. We do it, but we, we really can't. 
we're going to, we're going to cause ourselves terrible difficulty. But Ahaz said, I will not ask nor will I test the Lord. And that's, that's religion today. Pious, it looks really good. You know, there would be people looking on and saying, look at that Ahaz. Quoting the scripture, he's not going to do something like test the Lord. He's beyond that. See, he's a worshiper of God. No, he's not. We just read, he, he was a wicked man. And he was wicked because he said no to the Lord. And he said no to the Lord his whole life. I will not ask, I will not test the Lord. Then he said, listen now, O house of David, is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well? So in other words, are you really going to take God on like this? Are you going to try his patience? Really? Do you really think that's a great idea? But what does the Lord do? He said, there, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. You won't ask for a sign, but I am going to give you a sign. And what's the sign he's going to give? Well, listen, behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. That's the sign. Said, Judah, you are going to get a sign. And they got that sign, didn't they? Emmanuel, God with us. Who was Isaiah talking about? The sign is, I'm going to, a virgin is going to give birth to a child. And that child is going to be the Lord himself. Emmanuel, God with us. So keep your eyes open for this sign. It's coming. But it was, it was not going to be in the lifetime of Ahaz. It was many hundreds of years later that this took place. But that's the sign. Did you realize this little scripture here? We quote it all the time at Christmas time. But did you realize it came out of this terrible, dreadful situation where Ahaz was rebelling against his God and worshiping idols, and God came to him. This is God. He came to him and gave him a promise. A virgin will bear a son. Call his name Emmanuel. You know who this is? That's the one you know about already the one that will crush the serpent's head, even though he will be bruised in that battle. He will crush his head. It's the one I've been talking about all the time. If you go through the, the Old Testament, you will see him being pointed out all the time, and God said, he's coming. And now, Ahaz, you won't ask for a sign? Here's the sign you're going to get. And, and so, he goes on, and Isaiah goes on, and we're not going to have time to, to look at it all. But trials were going to come to Judah because they were rejecting God. They were going to experience terrible things. And we know that, um, we know that Samaria fell to Assyria. They took them away. And, um, and then there would be a believing remnant that would be there. There was always a people that believed God's promises in Israel and in Judah. There was always people that believed God's promise. They were always looking for this one he promised to come, this deliverer, this one that could crush Satan's head, this one that could finally answer the problem for sin. They knew that there was a problem. The faithful knew there was a problem with the sacrifices. They never were sufficient. You had to keep doing them over, year after year, after year, after year. They had to keep doing these sacrifices. And they were looking for that time there would be a final, a final solution to sin. And they were looking for it. And God gives them 
this promise. And in verse 9, he said, Be broken, O peoples, and be shattered. Give ear all remote places of the earth. Gird yourselves, yet be shattered. Gird yourselves, yet be shattered. Devise a plan, but it will be thwarted. Have you ever been in a situation where you had a great plan and it just did not work out? I have. <laughs> we had all these great plans and none of them would work. And then it was, now we have to just depend on God. And we just did. And God took care of it. And um, But the state of proposal in verse 10, but it will not stand for God is with us. God. Don't forget God. God is with us. Never forget that. For thus spoke the Lord to me with mighty power and instructed me not to walk in the way of this people. So, and then we get over to verse, um, we get over to chapter 9. And this is all part of the same discourse. And in, and in chapter 9, it says in verse 2, the people who walk in darkness will see great light. Ooh, sounds like the book of Luke, <laughs> doesn't it? The people who walk in darkness will see great light. Those who live in the dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with gladness of harvest. But the people that walk in darkness will see great light. And then if we just go over a little bit further... Remember he told them that a virgin will bear a child and he will be Emmanuel, God with us? Well, in chapter 9, verse 6, what does he say? For unto us a child will be born, a son will be given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. He's coming. He's going to take over. The government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Ahaz, wake up. It's coming. He's coming. And you are losing your hope. And Judah was losing their hope. They just had to keep their hope in God. God was with them. God is with us. Have we lost our hope? I hope not. Things are getting bad, but remember, God is with us. We're going to go into some hard times. If, if your eyes are open and you can see what's happening, especially in our country, you realize as believers, we are going to go into some really hard times. So get ready. Prepare your mind for it. Get into the scripture. It's coming. This word will not be tolerated in this country. Just, I, I believe that's coming. Hopefully I'm wrong. But there's things happening even now about speech and what you can say. And I've heard this word called some really terrible things by people in high places. So they're not, they're not going to accept this for, for much longer. So we need to be ready and we need to do everything we can. But remember, God is with us. He did come. He came. This Emmanuel. He came. He was here. We know him. We know who he is. We know what he did for us. We know he has given us eternal hope. We know he has settled the sin question. So we can walk with God. We don't have to be like Ahaz. We don't have to turn from truth.
we can walk with God. Let's pray. Our Father, we just thank you for including this life of Ahaz in your scripture, for letting us see uh, what happened and what took place when truth was forgotten, was put aside, was rejected, and when men said no to you. Father, even in all of that, you still love them and you still offered hope to them through Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that we have him. He is our hope. Father, he is our life, and our life is hid with him. And Father, we thank you that we are not separated from you. We have your spirit, and we have the truth of your word, and your spirit is faithful to teach us from it. So Father, we just pray that we will stand according to your word. We will live according to that word. We will allow your spirit to minister the life of Christ to those around us. Father, we just thank you for your love, your grace, and your commitment to your people. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to be with you again. Have a good afternoon.